him as he comes to the platform this morning. I have known Graham. I'm going to give my age away a little bit here, but I first met Graham when I was about 18, and I'm 28 now, so mate, it's been about 10 years, isn't it? Some, something like that. Uh, Graham and I have been mates. We first met uh, as young adults when I went to Geelong to study, and uh, he's made his way here with his family, and he's part of our church council and leads in that space, and I'm looking forward to that. So why don't we take a moment? Let's pray for Graham uh, as he comes and shares God's word. Father, we thank you for your words, and once again, just thank you for Graham and for his many years of ministry in the life of this church. Lord, uh, just thank you that he's passionate about you. Uh, he loves following your son, Jesus, and he gives himself to that cause as well, too. And as he opens up your word, Lord, would you speak to us powerfully once again? We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Pastor Dave. Um, wow been a while since I've done some public speaking. I had the honour of um, preaching in Bort last week, and that was really cool. And uh, I got some good feedback, which is always nice. And someone came to me and said, uh, your message reminded me of the peace and love of God. I thought, oh, wow, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Um, could you explain that a bit more to me? They said, well, yeah, no worries. Well, it reminded me of the peace of God because it passed all understanding and the love of God because it endured forever. Hopefully I've uh, learned a little bit from last week. Happy New Year, everyone. It's not too late for that, is it, to say that? Um, we're still in our Summer Stories series. It's a bit of a tongue twister. And uh, I thought, you know, I'm going to wear this shirt. I'm going to hang on to the last bits of summer before I have to go back to work tomorrow. So I'm going to get an amen from parents that children are back at school tomorrow. We're, we're happy about that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. When asked to speak today... Uh, about my favourite Bible character, my mind went scrolling through the many and varied people that we discover in the Scriptures. What I discovered that uh, most of them are pretty ordinary, with very ordinary connections to God that sometimes peak to the extraordinary. And there's a raw honesty that uh, the Scripture has where the Bible tells the whole truth about its heroes, warts and all. Donna shared with us last week about Abraham. Abraham is one of the leading characters of the Bible. But his relationship with God, of course, was a journey. It wasn't an instant. It was, uh, it was a walk, a progression. And so is ours. Unfortunately, that movement's not always upwards. Sometimes the movement can be downwards. It's not always forwards. Sometimes it can be backwards. It can be a little bit, little bit like a game of snakes and ladders. You hit a ladder and you feel you're making progress. You're doing well. And suddenly you hit a snake and down you go again. And that was true of Abraham. And there's Noah. Noah, amongst a crooked and corrupt generation, was only uh, uh, one to find grace in the Lord. And uh, God rescued Noah and his family. But Noah ended up a drunkard, lying naked on the floor, and then cursing his son who tried to help him. Then there's David. Someone described David as a man after God's own heart. And he wrote such beautiful poetry as the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. After he'd written that psalm, he commits adultery. He arranges for Bathsheba's husband to be killed on the battlefield so that he could take her for himself. Now, this is a man that wrote such beautiful poetry before that. And the raw honesty of Scripture is not so because these things are good, but it's because they happened and the Bible doesn't cover them up. So today, I want us to look at the person of Moses, in particular, his lineage or his ancestors. And then I'm going to focus on a key moment in his life how he responded and how this affected his life. 
wonder if you've, uh, you've ever taken one of those ancestry tests where to find out where you come from. You know, you uh, discover your origins by giving a little bit of your blood. I heard that a frog did one of those ancestry tests. She found out she was a little English, a little French and a tadpole. <laughs> God called Moses to rescue his people from slavery to the Egyptians. The same Moses who God used to deliver Israel from Pharaoh's oppression was a self-confessed, unimpressive man who didn't think he was capable of accomplishing God's call on his life. And Moses' example emphasises the fallen nature of God's chosen people, yet his willingness to use them anyway. Pastor Dave often says, the mission of God in the hands of ordinary people. And the message comes through all of that, that there's always hope in failure, providing that we acknowledge it, we come clean about it, and we exchange our weakness for God's strength. There is, of course, a heavy price to pay for folly and for disobedience, but it's not the end of the road. There is a way back. And there may be some here today, and maybe, maybe things are going wrong in your life, and maybe it's because you've been foolish, and to be honest, you know, you're doing things you should never have done. But we need to listen very carefully, because as you look at Moses and David and Abraham, there are the high moments and there are the low moments. And in the low moments, there is always a way back. Towards the beginning, of the, um, the beginning of the book of Exodus, shortly after God commissions Moses, there's a genealogy that seems out of place. But the genealogy reminds us that God had prepared Moses and Aaron for ministry in Egypt. We tend to, I don't know about you, but I tend to just skip over these or read them really quickly when I get to them. Too many hard names to pronounce. However, these genealogies can give us some key information. And Exodus chapter 6 is no exception. And I'm going to read from verse 13 of chapter 6. Um, I had asked one of my boys to uh, read this, but when he looked through the passage, uh, he knocked back the offer. Not going to name him because I don't want to embarrass Malachi. <laughs> We're reading from verse 13. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. These were the heads of their families. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn son of Israel, were Hanok and Pelu, Hezron and Carmi. These were the clans of Reuben. The sons of Simeon were Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These were the clans of Simeon. These were the names of the sons of Levi, according to their records. Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Levi lived 137 years. The sons of Gershon by clans were Libni and Shemai. The sons of Kohath were Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uzeel. Kohath lived 133 years. The sons of Merari were Mali and Mushi. These were the clans of Levi, according to their records. Amram married his father's sister, Jochebed, who bore him Aaron and Moses. Amram lived 137 years. The sons of Izar were Korah, Nepheg, and Zikiri. The sons of Uzziel were Mishael, Elzapan, and Zithri. Aaron married Elshabah, daughter of Aminadab, and sister of Nashon. And she bore him Nadab and Abu, Eleazar and Ithamar. The sons of Korah were Asir, Elkanah, and Abasaph. These were the Korahite clans. 
Eleazar, son of Aaron, married one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phineas. These were the heads of the Levite families, clan by clan. It was this Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the Israelites from Egypt by their divisions. They were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. This same Moses and Aaron. How'd I go? Uh, there's some great, na- great ideas there for naming your children if you want them. Now, there's two pieces of scripture I've left out and they frame our genealogy to help highlight its significance. The first is in the preceding two verses or three verses from 10 to 12 and they read, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me? since I speak with faltering lips. The second passage is recorded immediately after our list of uh, names in verses 28 to 30. And it reads, Now the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, and he said to them, said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, Since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? We see what's recorded directly before and after the genealogy are virtually the same thing. God's commanding Moses and Aaron to speak with Pharaoh. They're the same event recorded twice, once before, once after. And this bookend structure neatly records God's command to Moses and it records Moses' immediate pushback. Moses thinks he's unable to do what God's commanded. And it's it's not that he opposes what God wants him to do, He's against who God's planning to do it with. Not me, Lord. I'm a man unskilled and inept in speech. It says in other translations, my mouth and tongue are heavy. In another one, it says, for I am of uncircumcised lips. Yeah, that's right. Moses describes himself as having uncircumcised lips. There's not, there's a bit of debate about what that exactly means, but there's a consensus that Moses had, or at least he believed he had, a speech problem. This could have been a stutter or simply a fear of public speaking. But regardless, it's clear that Moses thought himself unable to do what God had commanded and he pushes back on God. This intentional framing of the genealogy reveals the point of the list itself. God had Moses to record it, to emphasise that Moses was a regular, ordinary man. Yet God had prepared both Moses and Aaron for their ministry in Egypt. Uh, Warren Wearsby, a biblical scholar, points out that Moses and Aaron's part in Jacob's family tree was a continuation of God's providential working. There's no mistake here. God is at work. Reuben, he kicked off our list of names in Exodus 6. He was Jacob's firstborn, then Simeon, and then Levi, the ancestor of Moses and Aaron. God had been preparing Moses and Aaron for ministry a long way back and this has implications for their descendants as well, such as the prophet Jeremiah. We read from Jeremiah's uh, book in chapter 1 where it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So you can see here that God's calling means God's enabling and what he begins he completes 
New Testament passages affirm this, for they're written to us to apply to our own lives. We read in Ephesians 2, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Philippians Philippians 1 states, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will continue it on until completion, until the day of Christ Jesus. It begs the question we might like to ask ourselves, what am I pushing back on with God? If God is for us, who or what can be against us? Now, we might have expected from God to respond something like this to Moses. You know, hey, mate, don't be so hard on yourself. You can do this. Yet the exact opposite happens. God directs Moses to write down his family line for all to read. It's as if rather than encouraging Moses by building up his self-esteem, God says, you know, mate, you think you're unimpressive. You have no idea how unimpressive you are. Let me show you. You've got to remember in ancient times, uh, status and credentials were primarily, primarily found uh, in one's family line. So that didn't bode well for Moses. From the list of relatives we've just read about, there's quite a few with a sketchy back record. Reuben, he had a sexual encounter with his father's concubine. You can read about that in Genesis uh, 35. Simeon and Levi, they became outraged and killed all the men in a city to avenge their sister's rape. That's a ripping story if you get a chance to read it. That's in uh, Genesis 34. Korah was insolent. He rebelled against Moses and Aaron and sinned against the Lord. And he and his household were swallowed up by the ground. That's in Numbers 16. Amran, Moses' dad, he married his own aunt, which you can read about in verse 20 that we just read. And don't forget Moses himself, some 40 years earlier, he killed an Egyptian man and had to flee for his life. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was choosing someone to be my spokesperson, just a few skeletons in the cupboard with this guy. Moses' family line has some baggage. They're an or- no, a very ordinary lot. And combine this uh, background on top of Moses' lack of speaking ability, it seems odd that God would choose him, yet that's exactly what God does. Don't overlook the language just after that genealogy in verses 26 and 27, where it says, These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt to be their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people from Israel, of Israel from Egypt. This Moses and this Aaron, this unimpressive pair, seems the point of that whole genealogy is just to show how flawed, how human, how ordinary God's chosen people are. Me too, brother. God delivers Israel out of Pharaoh's hand using this flawed man, Moses. The apostle Paul, he correctly understood himself to be weak, but but he knew that God demonstrated uh, his strength by using weak people. When talking about his thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians, Paul pleads with God to take this away from him. But God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses 
in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Author and pastor Ryan Welsh states, we are no more capable of ministry success because of our abilities than we are righteous because of our actions. Now, we as a church, we don't share the specific commands of uh, Moses and uh, Aaron, but all God's people are commanded to, be, to make, make disciples. And yet we often feel ill-equipped. Still, we're called to trust that God will provide for us what he has commanded of us. It's been said that uh, it's common to get the gospel right, yet fail to believe its effects. Namely, that God has chosen to work in and through common people to achieve his uncommon work. God doesn't ask if we're available. He asks us to go, to obey his call on our lives. Practically, that might look different for each of us, but we're all called to love others. We're all called to uh, care and show compassion, to share the good news of Jesus' love, his forgiveness and salvation. We may not be impressive, but if we're in Christ, then our success isn't based on our abilities, but on his faithfulness. We're no more capable of ministry success because of our abilities than we are righteous because of our actions. It's our loving Father who both saves us from our sin, from our failures and our weaknesses, and he also equips us to accomplish his mission. And because Exodus uh, emphasises the point by repeating it, it seems only fair for us to do the same. So we look back in chapter 3 and 4 of Exodus and we read of God telling Moses, go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Then a bit further on in chapter 4 it reads, but Moses pleaded with the Lord, oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been and I'm not now. Even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. You see, Moses is making the mistake of looking at himself instead of looking to God. And the dialogue goes on. I kind of feel like the Lord's starting to emphasise this because he asks Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? Hear or do not hear? See or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will be with you as you speak and I will instruct you what to say. Who are we to question God and to push back? Is it pride? Is it humility that's holding Moses back? Is that what holds us back? The humble servant thinks only of God's will and God's glory, not his or her own inadequacies, their successes or failures. We need to be careful not to clothe our pride and unbelief in a hollow confession of weakness. And don't think that God can't use you because you're unimpressive or too small. God uses especially those who know they're small. It was uh, someone once introduced the, uh, the great Hudson Taylor, the uh, missionary to uh, the 19th century missionary to China. And they, they said he was a very great man. And when Hudson uh, had his turn to get up and speak, he counted that he was a very small man with a very great God. He understood the ministry principle revealed in this passage. And ultimately, we're called to speak whether people will listen or not. 
whether we think we're skillful or not. Sometimes the fruit comes later. It's not actually our role to predict what seeds we sow that will bear fruit. But we can trust that it will always be enough. God's message will bear fruit in its own time. The Apostle Paul, he lamented that all of Asia, the place of his greatest ministry, had turned away from him. And yet his writings have shaped and challenged the church some 2,000 years. Moses, who eventually speaks to Pharaoh and leads his people out of captivity, never got to enter the promised land, though God did allow him to see it. Yet God fulfilled the purpose for which he raised Moses up. And we later see the same principle with da- uh, regarding David. Yep, the same David who wrote those psalms, committed adultery, killed off his rival. When he died, we're told in Acts 13, he died after he had served God's purpose in his own generation. Never forget that we are only part of the story, yet we can celebrate the privilege that God has given us that we do get to be part of the story, a story that will echo throughout the ages of eternity. It's far better to obey than sacrifice, we're told. Now, I don't know how the Holy Spirit's going to apply this to your heart today, but you and I have been called into a relationship with God where God is going to be God in that relationship. He doesn't have to tell us what, what we want him to tell us. We just have to trust him. We walk by faith, not by sight. He will take us. He will lead us. He promises he will guide us. Sometimes we, we have a clear sense of direction. Sometimes we don't have such a clear sense of direction. Do you know what? That's okay. He knows what he's doing. Do you know what? We can push back because we want to know too much or because we don't trust enough or we feel unworthy with uncircumcised lips and we divert and waste years in bondage called a place, Egypt. And maybe today some of us need to say, you know what, Lord, You've spoken to me before and I want to let go and I want to stop pushing back. I want to listen again from your word and to obey you. God can get you back on track and put you in the right place at the right time for the right purposes. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, uh, we just want to thank you today. Thank you that you love us. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who took our sin upon himself so that flawed people like us could be made right with you. Father, we thank you that you have a purpose for every one of us here and that you are going to lead us and guide us. That is your intent. Father, if we acknowledge you in all our ways, your word tells us you will direct our paths. I pray for those that are here today, Lord, who may be hearing your voice for the first time. And they're not sure if it really makes sense, but they know that you are speaking to them, that you are drawing them to yourself first and foremost into a relationship with you. Father, I pray that you will bring them swiftly into that certainty of peace with God and union with God and that all the rest that you have for them will begin to fall into place as they trust you and obey you. Father, I ask that you would make this real, I pray, and we ask it in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Thanks, guys.